Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. Uh, I did a little research this week. Uh, There was this point in human history where humans realized that they could accomplish more together than they could do on their own. And uh, nothing would embody this truth that humanity stumbled upon like the, the, the truth of corporations, right? Corporations is from the Latin word corporare, which means to combine into one body. And, and get this, the first time that people formally incorporated themselves was in the 1300s. Can you believe it, right? Uh, so you had a bunch of little French mills on this river in France, of all places, and and they would have these floods every year that would cause damage. Maybe one mill would lose their, their dam that they were using, the water wheel went off the thing, and so to mitigate their risk and to share the expenses of repairs, they formed what is what is known as the first corporate entity where many small businesses became one to share together. Now, the magic of this idea is it is realized, obviously, in, in modern American uh, life like crazy. I mean, corporations run everything, right? And I'm going to avoid the rest of the sermon being about how corporations run everything. But, but it was decided in 1886 that a corporation, so when a group of individuals come together and organize themselves into one body, that that corporation would have the same protections under the United States Constitution as normal human beings would have. And so this idea that human beings can accomplish more together and that there's value that's worth protecting in that and there's productivity that's created out of that is something that has become a huge part of our modern life here today. Uh, Incidentally, at Renewal City Church, we are a corporation. We're a 501c3 nonprofit corporation. So we have uh, done what it takes for the many to become one uh, formally, legally, and we'll continue to work on what it takes relationally for the many to become one until Christ returns, probably. Um, but, But long before there was any kind of business structure of a corporation, the Apostle Paul talked about the many becoming one in his letter to the Corinthians. You can turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we're going to be reading today. Uh, this, this passage from 1 Corinthians 12 is a pretty famous part of Scripture. Paul is likening the church to a human body. This is actually the passage that we have for tomorrow morning for our 40 days uh, for fullness uh, adventure that we've been on these last number of months. And uh, and when I was sitting down to, well, I guess I knew that this passage was coming up when I first read McKinsey's devotionals on it, which uh, McKinsey Rambo is holding down our last week's worth of devotionals for this. Um, she's our youth pastor here at Renewal. And, and even if you haven't been tuning in these last 40 days, uh, this last week would be a great one to jump in on because she really does a fantastic job uh, talking about the body of Christ. The theme for this last week is the body of Christ. Um, 
Anyhow, so she's going to be reading this passage tomorrow morning, and I was a little hesitant as I was feeling led to use this text for today to embrace it and make you, you know, spend two days reading the same scripture. But then I had a thought this week that was, well, you know, people people literally gave their lives so that you could have the scriptures in your language and read this. And so I feel like, well, if they're willing to do that, the least we can do is read the same chapter two days in a row, right? So... So, for, and not only that, but I get to be the first one to do it. So tomorrow when McKinsey's doing it, if anyone was going to complain, it would be on day two that we are doing it, right? So, um, so I'm out of the, out of the doghouse there. But, uh, Paul is writing his first letter to the church in Corinth. Um, and he, he makes this really crucial point in chapter 12 as, as a huge part of the purpose of this letter has been to confront disunity in the body of Christ. He's writing to a church that is full of divisions and having arguments with one another about things. And, and he's, he makes this point in 1 Corinthians 12, trying to bring them into unity. And so we'll start reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 together. Uh, Paul writes, Just as a body, a human body, though it is one, has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body. And so it is with Christ, for we were all baptized into one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles or slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. So you think Paul's writing, sorry, Paul's writing to the Corinthians saying, think, think of it this way. Think of it this way. Think for yourselves in the same way that a human body is just one body, but it's made up of all these different parts, that's how I want you to think about the body of Christ. A single body that's been made of all these different parts. In, in other words, he's saying, don't think about yourselves as individuals following Jesus on an island all, all by yourselves, but you're a part of something that is so much greater than, than the sum of all of its individual parts. This one spirit of God, is forming one body. Of course, if I, as I read phrases like this, I am painfully aware that you don't have to travel too far. You could go two blocks down Commerce Avenue and find another congregation, right? And if one spirit is forming one body, well, why are there so many different churches, so many different congregations? I do think one part of that is just practical. You know, meeting spaces, uh, being how they are, geographic location being what it is. It, some of it's just practical. You know, if, if there's uh, somewhere between one and two billion Christians on planet Earth, we can't all meet at the same time in the same room every, every time that we want to gather. So some of it's practical. I do think the other part of it is just a little bit of evidence for us that as the people of God, we do not get things 100% right as we're following Jesus together. Paul's writing to a divided church, you know, a couple thousand years ago, and the church is still divided, despite having his text to, to ruminate on and study, despite all the things that God has done, there is still something inside of us as humanity that, that can find it oftentimes easier to divide and argue and divide than to all walk together. Paul continues writing in verse 14, he says, even so the body is not made up of one part, but it's made up of many. So Paul's saying to the Corinthians, think of yourselves as one body, but you have to remember that any body that we have is made up of different parts. It's made up of diverse parts. 
And though that can be divisive at times, it's, it's still, that's the reality of it. Your body isn't just one big hand or, or one big eye. Your body is in all these different parts. And so Paul writes, he says, Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if an ear should say, in case you didn't get it with the foot analogy, if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. One of the things that I noticed Paul saying in this statement about feet and hands and ears and eyes is you notice the individual part's sentiment about their connection to the body is not the thing that defines whether or not they are a part of the body, whether or not they belong to the body. One might say, I don't belong to the body, but that doesn't change the truth about where God has put somebody in the body of Christ. As I think about that fact, it really gives me a lot of hope for for de-churched Christians or believers who choose to not fellowship with the body of Christ. If you're anything like me, it didn't take you too long of living church life with other people to realize that other people can can hurt you or disappoint you or or let you down. Uh, sometimes through ignorance or or a lack of ill will, and sometimes with some some malintent in there. Sometimes it seems like they're intentionally wounding one another. So much so that at times we're tempted to step away from the body of Christ and say things like, "Well." I'm following Jesus, but I, I can't have anything to do with his church. I am not a part of them. And the thing that gives me comfort is just because someone might look at certain people in the body of Christ and say, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I really don't like the way they're doing things. I don't like what's going on there. I'm no longer a part. That's not the defining thing. That's not the thing that decides whether or not you're a part of the body. In the same way that my hand couldn't look at my head and say, the head's the worst thing ever. I don't want any part of them. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work. My hand is connected to the head on a, on a cellular level. The same blood that flows through my head flows through my hand, I think, based on my understanding of the circulation system. Uh, Someone could correct me on that, I guess, but, um, differences might be things that push us apart at times. But the differences in our body parts is also what makes a body a whole body. Makes it so much more than any individual part. In verse 17, Paul writes, If the whole body was an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Or if the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? The the idea being that through the different parts of the body, through the the diversity represented in the different parts of the body, the capability of the body is greatly increased. The, the human body is, is pretty remar- remarkable. You know, um, uh, I learned a couple of summers ago that, that a human person can outrun a horse over long distances. Can you believe that? Like, outrun a horse because of the fact that we, we sweat and our body cools ourselves more efficiently than a horse does. 
And, you know, I feel like a horse is probably one of the best things at running. But, oh, human bodies is better than that. You think about the idea that our brain can solve complex equations, can unravel some of the mysteries of, of the biology and the astronomy. I mean, it's amazing what we can comprehend. At the same time, the human body is capable of doing things like making a half-court shot in basketball. I... I Many of you know I coach, I coach basketball. I love playing basketball. You're all invited to play basketball with me at 545 in the morning on Mondays and Fridays over at Kaweem. And a few of you others are there too. We'd love to have you. We'd love to have you there. We'd love to have you there. Doesn't matter how old you are or how terrible you are at basketball. We probably won't pass it to you very much if you're really bad, but we'd love to have you there. If you think about what it takes to make that ball go through that hoop from various different points on, on the court. You know, the, the, the calculations your brain is making and sending messages to your muscles to push with just the right amount of force, never mind if there's a defender guarding you and now everything's looking a little bit more difficult. The human body is a wonder that we can do that. And yet, it's the brain working with the arms and the muscles and the bones and the hands and all of these different parts all working together that enables us to do that. If the body was just one big eye, good luck making that half-court shot. It's never going to happen. If the body doesn't have any eyes, good luck making that half-court shot. It's never going to happen. We need each other. When the many different parts are each doing their part, it contributes to this larger miracle that is the human body and the larger miracle that is the body of Christ. There's something so enriching about being one, living in unity with people who are different than you. And if we want to be the kind of congregation that can make half-court shots in the kingdom, we have to be willing to embrace people in the body who are different than us, have different gifts, different talents, different abilities. This is a really serious issue of discipleship, and it's a serious issue of, of, of being obedient to who God is. Paul continues to write, he says, In fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. You think about this. No, no one is here by mistake. In the Apostle Paul's paradigm, God is the one who puts the people in the body just as he wants them to be. So when someone walks through that door on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or any other opportunity we have to hang out here for an Amy Barn comedy event, if I've read Paul's letters to the Corinthians, if I... If I've seen the damage that division does and in, in, in is doing in the church, and, and if I allow the words of Scripture to form my mindset and my opinions and my values about other people, rather than just grasping at whatever's popular today or who people say should be here or shouldn't be here, it, I will begin to make assumptions about people who walk through that door. An assumption that it is the hand of God that has brought them into my life. It's the hand of God that's brought them into the same room as me today. 
Whether they know it or not, God is the one who places people in the body where he wants. Paul said it's God who's placed the parts, every one of them. You know, there's some real subtlety in the Greek there. If you really dig into the language of that, it means every one of them. In case you didn't catch it in the English. Everyone belongs. This is a different way of thinking about church life, right? This is a different way about of thinking about the people who are around you. He put every one of them in there just as he wanted. You ever have somebody show up into your life and you think, man, it would have been really nice if God would have asked me first if they could come into my life or not. (laughs) This person's messing with me. This person's making life difficult on me. Especially if there's differences in there that are challenging to me. You know, maybe they're at a frustratingly different stage of their walk with the Lord or a different life stage. And, and you're thinking, man, I just, I can't take it. This is too different. Maybe, maybe they're, they have an annoyingly different parenting style than you have. It was, it's always easier to hang out with your families that have kids. It's always easier to hang out with the families who raise their kids just like you raise your kids. Because I wouldn't be raising my kids that way if I wasn't sure it was right. Maybe what I feel is that they have a glaringly obvious sin issue in their life. You know, one that's real bad and real obvious. Not like the innocent hidden sin issues that I have. When I'm tempted to reject those members of the body that God has placed in proximity to me, I'm reminded that it is God who places people where he wants And I'm reminded of what Paul writes next. Verse 19, he says, If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. And so the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Every part is placed by God. And every part is essential. You know, when's the last time that you sat in church and, and you looked at the row behind you or the row in front of you or the person across the room and you thought to yourself, oh, I need that person. I need them so much. I need more of that person in my life. I thought we could do a really cheesy exercise where we took a little break and everyone walked around the room and said to one another, I need you. I need you here. Little kids shouting during the worship service. I need you. I need you here. Person who sat in the back, never showed up to volunteer for anything. I need you. I'm not talking to anyone specifically, but like we need each other. Scripture says we need each other. Do we believe what scripture says? Or are we going to allow our own sentiments to form how we look at? Members of our body. Paul says the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The Christian brothers and sisters cannot look at another Christian brother or sister and say, I don't need you. Paul writes, on the contrary, 
Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Think of our human bodies. You know, people show off their biceps all the time, right? Like someone someone saw my twin brother walk in today, and we're always so glad when he visits, and he said, hey, he's looking a little bulkier than you. I was like, what? Everyone likes impressive muscles. Jason's got some serious guns going today. Uh, no one's ever showed off their spleen. No one's ever, you know, but which of the two is indispensable? I had an injury to my spleen a couple of years ago, and uh, and I'm kind of talking to my, my doctor, my care provider. He wasn't technically a doctor, a care provider at the time. And, and he's like, oh, yeah, you're going to want to take it really easy because your spleen is pretty important. I mean, you can live without it, but you don't want to. It's a lot of it's a lot of work, and I think a lot of, of medications. So I I took it really. I got a little packet. You know, they give you the packet like what to do. I got a little packet. What to do with your spleen injury? Um, yeah, it was great. Um, no one shows that stuff off, but it's indispensable. Paul writes that the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with a special modesty. Well, our presentable parts need no special treatment. You know, there's, there's parts of our bodies. There's parts that we don't show to just anyone. You know, parts that are so near and dear to who we are. So central to who we are. We treat them with special honor. We treat them with special modesty. Like, what is Paul talking about here? Well, one, you could probably be thinking of, like, inner organs, right? Even our language is built around this idea that your heart, this thing that pumps the blood inside of you, your heart is, the, is at the core of who you are. Think of inner organs. Paul's probably, probably also referencing our private parts, right? We have these parts of us that are, are related to our, uh, our sex, our gender, our, our, our own sexuality. They, they really are core to who we are. These are not parts that we put on display. If any of those parts were suddenly on display, we would all feel very uncomfortable in this room. Kidneys are just hanging out of my back, bouncing around by the ureters. We would be like, this got really weird. That's the human body. What is Paul saying about the body of Christ? Could it be that those who seem weaker and inconsequential are in fact the most vital to us being a truly spiritually successful community of Christ. Could it be, could it be that, that those people in our body that, we, that seem unpresentable, you know, the, the person who you, you would invite your friends to come to church if, if only that person weren't there. <laughs> could it be that they're worthy of the greatest honor you think about what we do with these unpresentable, weaker parts of our own body. How do we cope with who they are? We surround them. We surround those vulnerable parts with other parts. They're protected. They're shielded. They're covered. I endured the spleen injury playing basketball, of all things. I'm talking about basketball a lot today. And, and I was in a defensive position with my hands raised up high, kind of, going up halfway between blocking a shot, as I'm known to do from time to time, and trying to keep my feet on the ground because I think this might just be a ball fake. And it was a ball fake, but I'm up and I'm vulnerable. And the guy does a, a shoulder fake and hits me 
in my uh, in my spleen in a moment when it's not covered by my rib cage the way that it typically would be, and hit it just right, and suddenly it's as if I've been in a car accident, and I'm on the ground moaning in pain and. You know you've gotten old because when your basketball buddies see you on the ground moaning in pain, they ask you if you're okay rather than we used to always laugh at each other when we'd fall down. And now it's a moment of grave concern anytime one of us hits the floor. We protect the weaker members by surrounding them, by coming in close. Sorry, we'll pick things back up. Middle of verse 24. It says, but God has put the body together. He's giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no divisions in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for one another. Why do my ribs usually come down and cover my spleen and the other necessary organs in there? Because they're like, we'll take an elbow before anyone on the other side of me does. They don't really have a choice about it. They just got put there because God put them there. But... But you can see how when we start to consider how as a church community we are supposed to be. When's the last time you moved closer to one of those weaker, unpresentable members of the body of Christ? And you said, if anyone's taking an elbow here, it's going to be me. It's not going to be you. If anyone's going to receive some criticism, it's not going to be you. It's going to be me. I'm going to stand in that place and take it for you. And in moments like this, I can't help but think about our Savior who became a curse for us, dying on a tree in shame before the people of Israel who would look at that and say, that is no Messiah. That could never be something that's good. Because he said, I would rather die on that tree than see you all perish in your sin. What is Paul saying God is doing in all of this? What's his focus in putting body together the way that he's putting it together? Paul says he puts each part where it should be so that there would be no divisions in the body and each one would have equal concern for the other. God seems pretty hung up on this idea of unity and this idea of getting us to have as deep concern for those who are around us as we have for ourselves. I don't know why he's so hung up on that, but he really, really is. Could it be that God is giving the weaker, the lesser, the parts of the body that are not as great, could it be that he's giving them greater honor? Because He's trying to teach something to those of us who would see ourselves as greater parts of the body. Could it be that Christians who are less faithful are invited to rejoice with Christ's most faithful ones on the day when Christ is revealed? Because there's something really, really important for those of us who would brand ourselves faithful to learn. Could it be that those who don't attend regularly, don't serve, don't give, are, are they're saved by the work of Christ in the same way as those who are laying down their life, showing up every week, paying the bills around here, serving with the kids upstairs? Could it be that they all enjoy the same salvation because God is trying to teach us something? 
You know, we have a notion about what is just. And in our culture, we define justice as people getting what they deserve. If I work hard, justice demands that I get good things. If I skip out, justice demands that they skip me in the line. The problem for us is this is not how the authors of Scripture define justice. This is not the Hebrew notion of justice. When the Scriptures say that God is just, what they mean is he does not play favorites. He's not a respecter of individual persons. He's not biased in his judgments about people. God is totally committed to treating Everybody the same. Scriptures say he's a rewarder of those who seek him. If you seek God, he will reward you by offering himself. You will find him. People tend to find what they're looking for. If you seek God, you will find him. He reveals himself to those who are seeking him. He doesn't just reveal himself to those who are seeking him well or those who are seeking him persistently or those who are seeking him better than the people around him. God loves to be found by anyone who's seeking him. Paul says, so let there be no divisions among you that you might see his prayer is that you would see the true material connections that exist between us. I don't know what Jesus sees when he looks at the church and, and you know, we're meeting all over the place. Um, I mean, I, you guys know I spend quite a bit of time with a number of different pastors in town. Like, there are pastors who don't come to certain things because other people are there, and then there are other pastors who don't come to those things because other people are there, and there's this whole idea of, like, we we're, maybe we're not all on the same side here, and And I understand that doctrine is important and truth is important. And we are the body of Christ. All of us together are the body of Christ. And God is doing the things the way that he does it. He puts the parts where he puts them. He puts you in circles with the people he puts you with because he's trying to bring you to a place where you will have equal concern for all the parts of the body. that you would see the connections that exist there, that bind us all together as the body of Christ. As we're finishing up this passage, Paul writes, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. In my mind, a mark of maturity is our ability to be empathetic with other people. A mark of emotional maturity is our ability to be empathetic. When someone's suffering, you're able to join them in their suffering. And maybe like level two on that line is if someone's rejoicing, if something's gone big, you're not defaulting to envy or why didn't I get mine, but you're able to genuinely join them and rejoice with them in the good things that are happening in their lives. Yes, it really hurts to suffer together. It really is painful to walk together, especially with people who are really suffering or people who are making you suffer. (laughs) But the reality is when we can live somehow in this right relationship, we can acknowledge that God has put us together and we can value the connections that he's built between us. 
Like the connections that hold my fingers to my hand. He is building connections in your hearts that are holding us together as the body of Christ. And not just at renewal, but meant to hold us together with everybody in town who calls Jesus their Savior. When we can acknowledge those things, we are able to rejoice together in ways that are that make all the suffering worth it. Paul finishes the thought saying that now you are the body of Christ. It's not there in the English, but it's a plural you. So you all, now you all are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. You are the body of Christ. You're as much a member as anyone in the world has ever been. And despite our efforts to, to maybe label or to separate, God, the body of Christ is as much one body as it's ever been. The, the denominational labels will, will go away. I used to say at Renewal that we were multi-denominational, and then we had some dear friends that um, I used that term one Sunday, and they, man, they just couldn't handle it. And it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Like, we got to be able to separate ourselves from some of these other Christians who are believing wrong stuff. And I was like, oh, man, I'm really sorry you feel that way. Like, <laughs> I'll try not to say multi-denominational so much if it, you know, really causes trouble. But um, but I I do, uh, you get, most of you know, I go up to a treatment center on Monday afternoons and hang out with my friends in recovery up there. And, and, uh, and one of them told me, oh, yeah, you're the one from the all-denominational church because I evidently said something about this to him before, and I was like, oh, that's so good. I never even thought of that word before, all denominational church. So at Renewal, we're no longer a multi-denominational church. We are an all-denominational church. Um, But there's something wrong with us when we see ourselves as separate from others, and whether that's you looking at someone across the aisle in this room and saying, I have no part of them, or you looking down the street at another congregation saying, I have no part of them, like, Scripture teaches us that what God is doing is bringing all things in heaven and on earth into unity under Jesus Christ. The unifying thing being Jesus Christ. And anyone who's saying, I want a part of that, we should see as a part of ourselves. It's on my heart to give you a little bit of time to talk about this before we close the service at the Lord's table together. And um, so set your watches for six minutes. You've got six minutes. Uh, We've got some small groups. If we can get that QR code thrown back up on the screen. Uh, I've got some discussion questions for you today. And I want to encourage you to spend a little bit of time with the people around you that you need and just talking about this idea of the body of Christ and sharing with one another a little bit and trying to build those connections. Uh, Before you break, let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have uh, brought each of us here today. Uh, We acknowledge we're not here by mistake. If this is a one-stop visit and on we go to be a part of the body of Christ elsewhere, Lord, we just acknowledge that we are still one, uh, despite whatever geographical or denominational boundaries we might see between us. We know those things are nothing compared to Uh, the eternal one body of Christ that you're calling each of us to embrace. And so uh, help us to continue to embrace that. Show us how we need each other. Show us how to to consider others as more worthy than ourselves. Show us how to consider the needs of others in ways as as we consider our own needs. We just acknowledge, Holy Spirit, we have so far to grow in this. And so 
uh, we ask you for your help. As we turn some time just to have conversations and connect with one another, uh, we pray that your spirit would guide our conversations and that you would help these, these next few minutes to be meaningful. In Jesus' name, amen.